What God expects, and all God expects, is that we dedicate completely all of our talents and gifts to him. That is the meaning of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Read this parable and you will see that we are always rewarded because of our faithfulness. You can be just as faithful as anyone and have the commendation of the Lord. Take the one talent you have and invest it in eternal things. Some talented people lose their reward because they do things to be seen of men. Some untalented people lose their reward because they fail to dedicate what they have because it's not noticed by men. Both have sinned equally. These are the words of Billy Graham, the world-renowned evangelist who just went home to be with our Lord within the last few weeks. I want you to notice the last three sentences of that quote. Some talented people lose their reward because they do things to be seen of men. Some untalented people lose their reward because they fail to dedicate what they have because it's not noticed by men. But both have sinned equally. I want that to kind of set the table for us this morning to be what sets up what we're going to talk about today. Good morning, TBA. I'm really glad you could be with us today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Brian Legg. I'm part of our lead pastor team here. And as Ashley told you a moment ago, we are continuing our series called Synergy today. Specifically today, I'm wanting to talk with you about this idea that we all have something to give. And I hope and pray that you'll walk away believing, understanding, and choosing to live your life according to that principle. We all have something to give to God's kingdom. In his poem, Maud Muller, John Greenleaf Whittier wrote these words. For all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. Think about that just a moment. It's one little phrase, but it's kind of deep. For all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. These are words that haunt me when I look around our church. When I look at the church in general, not just TBA, but God's church. Because I look around and I see so much potential for God's kingdom that often is just literally wasted. Missed opportunities, blatant disobedience, Lack of truth lived out, often due to lack of truth understood, and ultimately due to lack of truth that is studied, God's Word. I look around TBA and I see a church that God has literally given everything we need to accomplish His purposes. When you look at this church body, this family, we have the skills needed that are spread throughout all of us. We have the monetary resources that are needed spread throughout all of us. We even have the time necessary to be able to accomplish the things that God has called us to when we work together. It's all here, everything we need. Unfortunately, I would say that we've not yet tapped into all of those resources. We've not yet begun to even come close to fulfilling our potential in God's kingdom as a church family. We have the time, we have the talent, we have the treasures, all of it's right here at our fingertips. But we aren't applying all of that to God's kingdom. At least not yet. Not yet. See, I choose to believe that we will. I choose to have faith, not only in God, but faith to walk with each of you, trusting that God will continue to open all of our eyes to his plan and his calling for us. I choose to trust that each of us will make the decision to walk in obedience, that we'll walk in obedience to his plan and that we can truly live like the New Testament church that we've been reading about, that church in Acts where we experience koinonia fellowship. You've heard that word over and over and over now for several months. This idea of koinonia fellowship, walking together, bonded together in the spirit of peace and unity, doing life together, ministering together, one common purpose, 
that church that we see depicted in Acts, it's a church where thousands came to Christ. And then more were being added to their number every day. And it's not about a number. I could care less whether it's two people or a thousand people for this church specifically. But what I care about is are we walking in that fellowship? Are we being obedient and allowing God to work through us in that way? My prayer is that you will choose to believe with me. And more importantly, that you will choose to walk in obedience. See, there's no question in my mind that if everyone will walk in obedience, that this church, TBA, will literally change the world. And I'm not talking about just the surrounding community around us. I'm not talking about just Highland City or just one town in Honduras or the places that we emphasize all the time. I'm talking about the world. That's what God's called us to. And that's what I'm looking towards with anticipation. The quote I shared from Billy Graham's reference referenced the parable of the talents. And you're probably familiar with the story, but I want to give you just a quick synopsis anyway. As Jesus was telling the story, it's in the context of explaining God's kingdom and Jesus' return. And he uses this parable to teach his disciples what he means. So he tells a story about a man that's going away on an extended trip. It just says he went away for a long journey. We don't know exactly how long, but we know it was going to be for a while. And before he left, he called together three of his servants, and he gives each of them a portion of his estate. To the first servant, he gives five talents of silver. Now, don't get hung up on the word talent there because you and I think of talent like a skill or ability or something that we have. But in reality, in this context, the talent was simply a weight. It was a form of measurement that was used. So if you had a talent of something, it could be silver, gold, any kind of metal. It could be anything. It was just a weight of something. NLT actually translates it that he gave him five bags of silver. So it just kind of gives you an idea of what he's doing. He's liquidated his estate. He's giving it to his servants. And to the first one, he gives five talents. To the second, he gives two And the third, he gives one. And it comes back and it tells us that he gave to them according to their ability. So he knew his servants well. He knew what they were going to be able to do. He knew what they needed. And he invested in them accordingly as he gets ready to go out of town. The first two take the money and immediately start to invest it and look for a return on the investment. While the third takes the silver, that talent of silver, and he buries it in the ground to protect it and waits for the master to return. And when the master does return, and it's unexpected, by the way, he doesn't give any notice that he's coming. All we know is he's been gone a long time, and here he comes back. He immediately calls them to account. What have you done with what I've given to you? And so the servants come before him, and the first servant reports that he's doubled what the master gave him. And the master first commends his character. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he rewards him for his faithfulness and how he's invested. He says, enter into my joy and be a part of me. Walk with me. The second servant reports exactly the same. Now, here's what's interesting. The second servant only received two talents. First guy gets five, and he comes back with ten. Second guy only gets two, so he comes back with four. He doubles it as well. He gives the same report to the master, and the master says the same exact thing verbatim, word for word, to the second servant. He commends his character. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then he gives him reward for his faithfulness, thanks him for how he is invested. But then there's the third servant. And the third servant comes back, and instead of telling the master how he's invested his money, he starts off by accusing the master of how harsh of a man he is. He basically says that he buried it because he was afraid to take a risk with the master's money. And the master responds by calling him a wicked and lazy servant. And he takes that one talent from him that he had given, and he gives it to the man who just came back with ten, that first servant. And then he casts the third servant into outer darkness, where there will be gnashing of teeth. And the terms that are used there 
to illustrate that are terms that we see all throughout Scripture to represent hell. He disowns him. He says, you'll be no servant of mine. You have not handled my stuff well. Now, there are a lot of things we can pick up from the parable, and I'll be honest, I've done a lot of wrestling with that story this past week. In fact, I wrestled with it so much that you're getting the second message this week instead of the first one, because the first one I wrote, we'd have been here way past lunch. It was super long, and I came to the point from after talking with Brian and Dave and bouncing some things around where I realized, really, that was a message to me, and it was what God was dealing with my heart on it, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you to say I'm coming in this morning really with a pretty deep burden about the things I'm talking about, because... When I read these stories and I look across our church, those people I know, and I look across God's church in general, there are a lot of people within God's church who call themselves Christians who could be classified like this third servant. And it burdens my heart deeply. And you'll see what I mean in a minute as we dig into this. I would encourage you this week, take some time, read the story. Wrestle with it yourself. It's found in Matthew chapter 25, starts in verse 14, runs to verse 30. Take some time, just read through it, wrestle through it. I've asked all of our small groups to do that specifically. That's in your notes, you'll see that. Read that story, think about it, process what God may be saying to you. But here's the one big thing that I want you to take away from the story this morning, and it's this. Jesus is using the parable of the talents to illustrate how he's given each of us something to invest in his kingdom. And I want you to notice the words there that I've bolded and highlighted. Those are your blanks if you're filling out your message outline. But these are important. These are things he's given us so that we can invest back into his kingdom. The question is not whether or not we have something to give, but rather the question is, are we giving of ourselves for his purposes? See, the silver he references never at any point in the story ever belonged to the servants. A lot of times we don't recognize that, we don't realize that, but the silver was always the master's. He had liquidated his own estate. He gave from his own estate to his servants. They went and invested, and it's very interesting. I actually was having a conversation this morning with Eric, our children's pastor, and he was telling me he had read my email last night, so he went through the parable and was reading, and he goes, I saw something I'd never seen. He said, do you realize that in that story, never once does the master say, go and invest what I'm giving to you. He just gives them the, the, the talents. He gives them the quantity of silver, and they automatically know that they are to go and invest. And it seems so obvious when you think about it because it wasn't theirs in the first place. It was their master's money. They're trying to make good of it for him. They're trying to invest for his purposes. They were stewards of the master's estate. The thing is, it's exactly the same for you and I. We are stewards of the many resources that God gives us. The question is, how are we investing those resources? Or are we investing at all? Have we buried them somewhere deep, just content with the idea that, well, I'll make it to heaven, that's all I need to worry about? Or are we really investing what God's given us? And see, here's the part of the story that scares me. Because I look at the the first two servants and how they're faithful with what they've given, and and, and I know they receive different amounts, we're going to talk about that, It's, it's proportionate to their abilities, we're all wired different, we all have different skill sets, different talents, but both of them serve faithfully. That's the point of it. You see how they serve faithfully. They've both come back with 100% return on the investment. But that third servant, that third servant who's clearly identified as a servant, he's property of his master. If I put it in our terms, he calls himself a Christian. Because when we say we're a Christian, that's what we're saying, is that we're a servant of Jesus Christ, that we're following Jesus. 
He does nothing with what he's given except hold on to it and bring it back and present it back to him. And what does the master do? He condemns him and disowns him because of it. What does that say to us? We have a huge responsibility to use what we have been given by God, which, by the way, everything you have has been given to you by God. Everything that we have is a blessing from God. Otherwise, you wouldn't have anything. We think we have control over stuff. We think that it's ours. But in reality, it's not. It's God's that he's given to us. And he gives it to us for his purposes, for his kingdom. Our money is not ours. It's his. Our time is not ours. It's his. Our talents and our abilities are not just for our own entertainment or productivity. They are for the purpose of building God's kingdom. Do you recognize that? Do you live according to that understanding? If you're not sure, let me tell you how to figure it out. And you don't have to do this right now. I mean, you can if you want. But pull your smartphone out, open up your banking app, and look at where your money goes. Look at where you spend things. Because nobody carries a checkbook anymore, right? I mean, maybe a few of you still have one of those things stuck away in a purse somewhere that you don't know where it is. But if you look at that banking app on your phone... And where your money is going over the past few weeks, the past few months, even the past few years, what does it tell you about what's most important to you? In fact, let me ask you some specific questions. What portion of that money goes to TBA, to your home church where you say you're part of a church family and you're walking in Koinonia Fellowship and you're here to accomplish God's purposes together with your church family? What portion of it goes to other kingdom ministries? How much are you investing in other parachurch ministries or other things that are going on where people are out serving God, doing his purposes, meeting the expectations within his kingdom? And just a side note within all that, and I told First Service this too, I like to be an equal opportunity offender, so I'll make sure I make all of you angry before the day is over somehow. But here's the truth of it. We're called to be giving a tithe, 10% off the very top, whatever we make, to our local church. If you're part of this church family, it should be given to TBA. We are your local storehouse. You should be doing, involved in ministry in that way, giving in that way. And then above and beyond that is what should be going to all of the other church ministries. That's how we should be investing. And if we were all giving a tithe, guess what? There would be zero budget issues. We would never have a question about whether or not we could do a ministry or how we could accomplish the things that God's laying before us because money would be overflowing and the ability to do what God asks us to do would be crazy. While we're at it and you got your phone out, look at your calendar. Where are you investing your time? What do you do the most? Where are you spending most of your time? What gets the biggest part of your attention? Is it relationships where you're praying and pursuing somebody for Christ? or ministry teams that you're involved in, or maybe a Living Scent opportunity. By the way, Living Scent doesn't mean that you have to start a ministry. Sometimes it just means you're working with someone else who's already doing that, who's already involved in ministry, and you're plugging into it because that's what God called you to. Or if you're being honest about how you spend your time, and maybe this is not reflected in your calendar because most of us don't calendar this event, but are you really spending hours in front of your television or many hours involved in sports, or activities with your kids, or hobbies, fishing, hunting, crafting, whatever you do, or work, or school, 
or Snapchat, or if you're over the age of 30, Facebook, <laughs> one of those social media things. How many hours a day do you spend flipping through your phone? Mindlessly, aimlessly, just looking at whatever's there. I'm not even telling you that all those things are bad because they're not necessarily. But what's most important to you? You see, if I went around the room this morning and I asked each of you, what's most important to you? You'd probably say God. I mean, you're in church. Of course you'd say God, right? But I've got news for you. Your bank statement and your calendar, they're not going to lie. And they might reflect something different than what you would say is most important to you. How are you using the gifts and talents God's given you? If you're good at singing, are you using that for his kingdom? Are you doing things to, to build each other up and encourage one another and to lead in worship? Or are you just really good at going to karaoke night at the local bar? Or if you're a gifted entrepreneur, are you helping to launch new ministries? Or are you using your company to, to impact others for Christ, to carry the gospel into the world? Or are you so focused on your business that you struggle just to make it to church on Sunday mornings? And small groups completely out of the question because there's no time for that. If God has gifted you to make money and you're one of those people that has that Midas touch and everything you touch seems to turn to gold and you can just bring it in, are you giving abundantly to God's kingdom? Are you being faithful in what he's providing to you to give to your home church and ministries that are there, to give to ministries outside of that? Or are you just focused on increasing your bankroll and making sure that your retirement's good and making sure the life insurance is good enough and that you have the toys you need? Where's your focus? How are you using what God has given you? How are you investing? Let me put it this way. Maybe this will make it really real. If Christ came back in the next 10 minutes and called all of us to account, because that's the purpose of the story that Jesus is sharing here, the master comes back unexpectedly and calls his servants to account. How would you respond? What would you say to Jesus in that moment? What would you say to him about how you're handling what he's blessed you with and how you're investing it and how you're risking everything for him? What would he say in return to you? Are you using what he's given you to enlarge his kingdom? Or have you buried it for safekeeping? Or, even worse, are you like the prodigal son who's just out blowing it all in your own selfish endeavors, not thinking anything about his purposes or his kingdom? See, Dave kicked off the series a couple weeks ago talking about the fact that we all have to do our part. It takes all of us to pull this off, to be able to accomplish what God's calling us to. And that's 100% true, and that's a critical thing for us to understand. But I think this concept's just as important. And the problem that I see as we talk about this idea is that way too many of us go, well, I don't really have anything to give to God's kingdom. I don't have anything to offer. And we have to realize that every single one of us has something to give back to his kingdom. In fact, not just one thing. We all have time, talent, and treasure to give back. And I hear people all the time with this argument of, well, I tithe my time instead of my treasure. Or I do this, or I do that. It, we invest this one thing. Okay, well, show me that in the Bible. I mean, I, I would challenge you all day long. Let's sit and look through it and figure it out because I don't think there's anything in Scripture that suggests that. 
It talks about all of us being invested into God and who he is and serving him. Giving of our time, of our talent, and our treasure. You see story after story throughout that communicates that idea. See, he's created all of us uniquely and with completely different abilities and even capabilities, but that does not make what he's blessed us with any less important than anyone else. We're all different. We're wired different. Some of you are high-level thinkers. Some of you have jobs that I wouldn't want to touch in a million years. I know some of you work in big corporate accounts and deal with billions of dollars. I don't want any part of that. Some of us have trouble tying our shoes in the morning. I wear a lot of slip-ons, if you notice. We're all wired different. It's okay. But that doesn't mean that our gift is any less important. Let me illustrate it this way. And I, I was messing with joker in the first service a guy named anthony dupree part of our church family his nickname is joker he gets it very well but think about it like this if i were going to go in for brain surgery and this is where i was harassing joker i went okay go ahead and get all the jokes out of the way now because the first question you're going to ask is will they find anything okay joke said get it out of your thought now think about this i'm going in for brain surgery think about everybody that's involved in that process first you have a neurosurgeon I don't know about you guys, but if I'm going in for brain surgery, I want the best neurosurgeon out there. There ain't a whole lot to fix, and if he's going to fix it, I want to make sure he fixes it right, okay? So I want the best neurosurgeon, right? But I also need an anesthesiologist, because I don't want to wake up in the middle of this procedure, and I don't want to be feeling things that I'm not supposed to feel, so I want to make sure that whoever's doing that is good at what they do. I'm not looking for a student who was a C student all the way through school. I'm looking for a straight A, 5.14 GPA kind of student, right? I want the guy who excelled all the way through. Then you have the nurses in the room. Man, they're critical too because they're the ones looking at me, observing what's happening with me, observing if I'm twitching in the wrong places or something's going on that shouldn't be happening so they can inform the doctor or the anesthesiologist. They're important. I want them in the room. But then there's people you don't think about. What about the administrator who reserved the operating room? They're the ones that made sure that it was going to be available to me, that I could actually have that surgery, that nobody else was going to be in there, that it wasn't under construction at the time, that it was safe for me to have surgery. Or probably the person who ultimately is the most important that we would never think of in a million years, the cleaning crew, the janitor. See, you and I think of a story like the parable of the talents, and we go, well, yeah, the neurosurgeon, now, he's a five-talent guy, absolutely. You know, he's somebody that's really, he's got a lot to give. God's gifted him. He's got all these unique abilities. Too many times we think about a janitor, and we go, well, I could probably do that. I could clean stuff. I don't want very many of you being the janitor in my operating room. I'm just saying. Because it doesn't matter how good my neurosurgeon is, if they open me up and they do surgery and that room's dirty, and there's germs all in it, and I get an infection, it doesn't matter how good my neurosurgeon is, I'm dead. I'm done. Because that infection will take over, and it'll spread quickly. And in the brain, not a lot they can do about it. Now, you've got a five-talent guy that we think of as a neurosurgeon, or you've got a one- or two-talent person as a janitor, but if they don't both give 100%, if they're not both completely faithful in completing their job and their responsibility and using the gifts and abilities that God has given them to invest into that, I'm in trouble. We all have something to give. Think back to familiar stories from the Bible. I can think of all kinds of examples of people that we look at and go, oh, they just had kind of insignificant gifts. 
But when they offered those to God, he used them and did amazing things, even things that you and I would look at and call miracles. He multiplied their gift to accomplish things. The boy in John chapter 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000, you probably remember that story. The, the boy has five loaves and two fish, and we're not talking about like five big Italian loaves. We're talking about like probably little tiny personal rolls, okay? So not a lot of food. Five loaves and two fish. And it says that there were 5,000 men gathered there. And I love Andrew's response in this story. If you look it up, John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves, two fish. But listen to this phrase. But what good is that with this huge crowd? I go, this is a guy that thinks like me. What good is that with this huge crowd? Five loaves and two fish? I mean, I'm a big boy. That's barely going to feed me lunch. What are you going to do with 5,000 men? Oh, wait a minute. Scripture says there were 5,000 men who were gathered, which means there are actually probably more like fifteen or 20,000 people gathered. So five loaves and two fish, and you're going to feed fifteen or 20,000 people? We're all about to starve to death, right? But what's Jesus do? He has them sit down. He blesses it. He asks his disciples to hand it out. And not only do they have enough food to hand out to everybody, but they come back with 12 baskets of leftovers. What? 12 baskets of leftovers from five loaves and two fish? How does that happen? What about David, the little shepherd boy, before he was king, long before he was king? We talk about how small he was, and he was small in stature. And you read the story about when he went to face Goliath, he goes to visit his brothers in the, the Israelite army camp, and they're facing off with the Philistines. And Goliath's over there with the Philistines, calling all the Israelites out. If you'll just come out and fight me, whoever can beat me, you win. And all the Israelites, these manly men, these warriors, are scared to death. They won't go out and face this giant. And here comes David, who's so small that when he puts on the king's armor, he can't even walk. He can't move anymore. It just weighs him down. But what does he do? He looks at a problem and he recalls how God's been faithful in his life. He remembers how God went with him when he was a shepherd boy and he was tending his father's sheep and how he killed the lion and he killed the bear with just his bare hands and a club. Now that's my kind of guy. Get out there barehanded and go at it. But against a giant? I mean, a lion, a bear, that's scary enough. But now a giant? But he trusts in what God said to him and he trusts in the experiences he's had. And he takes what God has given him, the gifts that he has, he takes his sling, and he takes five stones that he picks up from the creek nearby, and he walks out to the battlefield. And you know how the story goes. Goliath taunts him, David steps up, swings his sling, lets it fly, and moments later he's cutting off Goliath's head in victory. He took what God had given him, what he knew, and God multiplied it for his purposes. What about the widow that went to the temple and placed her feeble offering of two mites into the collection box. Two mites, two tiny little coins. Even in that day's standards, this was nothing. Value of nothing. But Jesus notices her, and he talks about how she gave more than anybody else because she gave all that she had. Try to put yourself in her shoes for just a moment and think about that. If you had nothing, if you were down to two little coins, you've got two pennies left that you're going to that's what you have to live on. That's all you got left. I mean, I can't speak for all of you, but I think you'd be like me. And at this point, we're kind of whining with God to go, why am I here? Why is this happening? When are you going to provide? How are you going to take care of me? What's this look like? But what she do? She takes those two coins and takes them to the temple and drops them in the offering box. 
It's a love offering to her creator, showing that she trusts him completely, that she's trusting him to provide for her. She's got nothing, and what she has, she's giving. See, I can't tell you exactly how God used that offering, but I can tell you what he thought about it, because look at Jesus' response. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people. Notice who he identifies here. The rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given, what? A tiny part of their surplus. A tiny part of what they had left over after they did everything they needed to do and wanted to do. They barely tipped. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. I could go on with story after story after story, countless examples of people that really we would look at and think had insignificant gifts, or even some people that we might look at and think they had amazing gifts. God had given them, given them these crazy abilities. I mean, I think of people like Paul or Peter or King Solomon or the prophet Elisha or Noah, and you've got all different ends of the spectrum there. Some who you look at and go, they're gifted people. Some that you look at and go, how did they survive? But God used all of them when they were faithful with the abilities God had given them, and they used them for his purposes. God took that and did something amazing with it. You may have heard this story several times already, because I know I have, but as I read that quote that I started with today from Billy Graham, just made me stop and think about Billy Graham's conversion story. So if you've heard this story, just listen again and, and kind of humor me. But Billy Graham came to know Jesus through a man named Mordecai Ham. And every time I read that story, I just think, what were his parents thinking? Why would you name your kid that? Anyway, if you're named Mordecai, I'm sorry. Mordecai Ham came to Christ under the ministry of an evangelist named Billy Sunday. You're probably familiar with that name, popular evangelist in his day. He came to the Lord through a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman. You keep going back, Chapman came to the Lord through an evangelist named D.L. Moody. You've probably heard that name around. D.L. Moody came to Christ through a Sunday school teacher in Boston when he was 17 years old. That Sunday school teacher was a businessman named Edward Kimball. And he was obedient when God laid it on his heart to go after work and visit every member of his Sunday school class to ask them about their relationship with Christ. Now think about that for a minute. Here's you and me, a regular business guy who's being faithful just a little bit by plugging in and serving at his local church. He's a Sunday school teacher. But God lays it on his heart to say, you need to go talk to every boy in your class and you need to take your time after work when you'd like to be hanging out with your family, when you'd like to be vegging out in front of the television, whatever you're wanting to do, and go talk to them and ask them about their relationship with Christ. And he does that. And he finds Moody in the stock room behind the shoe store where he worked. And there in that stock room full of shoes, he leads him to Christ just because he was faithful to go and ask that question. That one decision, that one moment of faithful obedience started a chain reaction that has literally brought millions to Christ. If you just step back and look at Billy Graham and all he's accomplished, I mean, even the news media this past week was calling him America's preacher. It's hard to get a title like that, especially in today's media. The impact that he has had alone, not to even count all of the other guys that are in that chain if you step back, and the many things that they did as evangelists and the way that they reached out. 
because of one person's faithfulness. Even now, after Billy Graham's death, the legacy that's continuing in just that ministry alone, through his son, Franklin, through Samaritan's Purse, through things like Operation Christmas Child that we participate in each year with the shoeboxes that we send around the world, things that carry the gospel to people that have never heard the gospel. What if Edward Kimball had chosen not to be obedient when God laid it on his heart to go and share with those boys in his class? What if he had determined that he didn't know what to say or he didn't really have time to go do that? Because those are excuses you and I would throw out, right? Some of the seemingly smallest opportunities that God lays before us have the potential to carry some of the greatest impact on the world around us when God is the one at work through us. Stivey posed that thought to us last week like this. We need to quit asking God, what do you want me to do for you? And rather ask God, what do you want to do through me? We need to quit asking God, what do you want me to do for you? And rather ask God, what do you want to do through me? Our impact in God's kingdom has nothing to do with our own talents and abilities. But it has everything to do with the measure of our faithfulness and obedience and the opportunities that he lays before us. And I want to say that again because I think it goes against our normal thought process. But it's critical for us to understand. Our impact in God's kingdom has nothing to do with our talents and abilities. But it has everything to do with the measure of our faithfulness and our obedience and the opportunities that he lays before us. It doesn't matter if we're a five-talent person or a one-talent person. It's a question of are we faithful in investing what God has given to us. Band, you guys come on up. There is nothing that I want more than to be a church that changes the world for Jesus Christ because we chose to be faithful with what God has provided for us. I told you earlier, and I believe this with all my heart, we have everything we need to accomplish God's purposes here at TBA. If, and that's the key word, if we all choose to be faithful and obedient in providing those resources for his purposes rather than ours. We have everything we need to accomplish his purposes if we choose to be faithful and obedient in providing those resources for his purposes rather than our own. If we see ourselves as stewards instead of as owners of our time, of our talents, and of our treasure. God can use all of that to change the world. I want to conclude with some words from Paul that he wrote in a letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. And let these just resonate on your heart as we close today. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training, and they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Don't be disqualified. Don't be that third servant who chose not to invest for whatever reason that ends up being disowned. Run with purpose in every step.
Give according to what you've been given and make the most of every opportunity that God puts before you. If you need to talk to somebody or you'd like to pray with somebody, I would encourage you to stop by Next Steps back here in the corner. Tim and Joni are already there. I'll be back there and probably some others. We would love to be able to pray with you and help you take your next steps of obedience. Here's what I want, you, want to ask you to do as we close this morning. What typically happens is we come on a Sunday morning, we sing a few songs, we, we spend that time in worship, we enjoy meeting other people, we listen to a message, and God may even speak deeply to our heart in those moments. But too often, service kind of comes to an end, and our next thought process is, where am I going to lunch? What am I going to eat? Who am I going to hang out with this afternoon? What do I need to do today? What are the things that are racking up on my task list that I've got to knock out? Or how long is it going to take me to get home and get in bed for that nap this afternoon? I want to challenge you not to do that today. Take the next few minutes, and then the next few hours, and then the next few days, and even this next week, and think deeply about some of the things we've talked about this morning. Ask yourself the question, how am I investing what God has given to me? Look at your bank statement. Look at your calendar. Pay attention to how you spend your days. Think about how you're using the gifts and abilities God has wired you with. Where are those things being invested? Is there any eternal value in what you're doing with it? For some of you, it may be rewarding. It may be encouraging to go, wow, God's doing amazing things in the way he's blessed me. For some of you, it may be really hard to think about. You may find yourself wondering, am I that third servant? Am I squandering what God's given me? What are you going to do about that? Let him speak to your heart. Stand with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for how you've spoken to my heart this week. I thank you for the reminders that you've given of just how much you love us and, and how important our relationship with you really is, God. Thank you just for the perspective that you've given me. I pray that this morning the things that I've shared have truly been from you and not from my own lips. And God, more importantly, I pray that all of our hearts have been open to hear what you wanted to say. God, I'm sure with this many people in this room that there were probably a hundred different things that we needed to hear or see or think. And that's why I'm so thankful that it's you speaking to us. So help us now just simply to be open to allow your spirit to work within our hearts. Help us to do the hard work of, of really doing the self-assessment and asking the hard questions and, and allowing you to speak to us and show us the things in our life that maybe we need to address. God, help us not to get distracted by unimportant things this afternoon, but to be reminded of your purposes and the opportunities that you've given us. And may we trust you and walk in that and be like the widow who gave her last two coins. May we trust you so much that even if it means giving our very life, we offer it freely as a love offering to you. Speak now, God. In your name we pray. Amen.